Hello and welcome to Beyond Boundaries. So happy to have you with me. I'm your host, Justin Douglas. If you want to learn more about me or find the show notes for this episode, you can go to pastorjustindouglas.com. You can interact there with feedback, comments, and questions, or you can reach out via Instagram. I'm at Pastor Justin Douglas. Today is episode 11. And yeah, I know this has been the longest break between episodes. For two weeks in March, I was in Israel and Palestine. I feel like I'm just now starting to get back into the rhythm of things, but I promise it was worth the wait. I traveled to New York City earlier this week to interview pastor, liturgist, and author Aaron Nequist. His book is titled The Eternal Current, How a Practice-Based Faith Can Save Us from Drowning. Uh, I think our conversation was great. I'm so thankful that Aaron took time out of his day to be on the Beyond Boundaries podcast. I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation. Here it is, episode 11, The Eternal Current with Aaron Nequist. All right, so I'm here with Aaron Nequist, a liturgist and creator of A New Liturgy and the Practice, author of The Eternal Current, How a Practice-Based Faith Can Save Us from Drowning. And I love what your Instagram uh, bio says, my heart belongs to Shauna, Henry, and Mac. Hmm. Yep. So welcome to the Beyond Boundaries podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, do you want to just share a little bit about um, what you think about practice-based faith? You wrote a book about it. And, yeah. And I mean, obviously, that's a very broad question. Sure. Um, but but I think you say it can save us from drowning. And I guess I want to, mm. uh, if someone was to be considering maybe picking up that book, what are some things that they might find when we talk about practice-based faith? Yeah. Wow. We're just jumping in. Jumping right I in, man. It. I, I love, love it. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, how about this? I yeah, will meet your, your broad question with a broad answer, yeah. and then you just pull me into any specifics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I primarily mean... A practice-based faith in contrast to a beliefs-based faith. So good, yeah. And that that beliefs-based faith, which fundamentally is all that matters is what facts you mm. hold in your head correctly. Yeah, yeah. And that I I grew up in a very conservative version of that. Mm. It was all about rightness. Mm-hmm. Do you believe rightly? Now, yeah. who gets to decide rightly? We do. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Our decide, tribe yeah. is the right tribe and every <laughs> yeah, other yeah, one's yeah. wrong. Yeah. But <clears throat> I just experienced... Um, now, beliefs matter. Yeah. Beliefs and you say that in the book. important. You say that in the book. Yeah, yes, yeah. but they are not the goal. Uh, yeah. In the book, I, I say, Jesus didn't say, here is the truth, believe it. Yeah. Jesus said, I am the truth. Follow me. Join yeah. me. And so there's this sense that beliefs matter, but they are not enough. And in fact, when we put what's not meant to be the center at the center, mm-hmm. it gets really toxic. Yeah. And so um, right in the first chapter of the book, I mentioned I found myself right out of college. I went to, you know, grew up in a Christian family, went to a Christian college, got a job at a Christian church, and then my Christian faith imploded. Mm. And some of it was just the... if. I mean, if this whole story is just, do I believe the right stuff? Hmm. Um, life's too short for that. Yeah. There's got to be more. There has got to be more. And thank God there is. Yeah. And I think th- some of the practices are the ways that we're invited to not just agree intellectually, but to participate with what God is doing. Not just believe, yeah, grace is true, but to swim in grace. Yeah. To extend grace to participate in grace. so That's so good. Yeah. I love, there were multiple places where you had uh, fitness or nutrition metaphors. Yeah, 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 and yeah. I caught those because you were like, no one's going to gather together every week with a running group and talk about running a marathon. Absolutely. And just right. get the head knowledge for what it takes. Even, I mean, it does take a certain amount of mental strength to run for that long. And yep. you can maybe... Uh, sit there and talk about the type of mental strength it takes yep. or sit there and talk about the proper stride to have. But if you're never practicing the stride yes. and if you're never putting yourself in a situation, yes. actually have to build up the mental strength and fortitude. It's like, 
could you actually run a marathon? Right. Like, probably not. Yet you could be the most educated person in how to run a marathon, but you're, you've never practiced running, and so yep. you can't do it. And same with nutrition. You use a yep. similar, similar yep. reality of just having one meal and, 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 yep. and only, you know. And so I thought those were really good metaphors as someone who grew up in a very similar kind of culture. Sure. Um, to consider as we, as we enter into that. Now, what if someone's listening to this and they're like spiritual practices? So, so what, what are we talking about when we talk about spiritual practices? Yeah. Cause I know in, in my particular community, there's some people who have, um, you know, a ritualistic attachment to some of these practices or, or those practices yeah. are attached to a community that if you did the practices the right way, you reached an elite level of spirituality, right. but if you didn't, you, right. you did You see what I'm saying? Right. Like it was all, it was almost like, um, the practices were used as a gauge for your commitment to God. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. so share a little or, bit about that. If someone's maybe hearing spiritual practices and it's, it might be a little trigger for them of like, ah, I don't absolutely. know about that. Spiritual practices like everything else have been abused, have been turned into, um, Yeah determining whether you're good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the, the real dangers of spiritual practices is when we believe that if we do them right, we cause God to do stuff. Oh, wow. You know, if yeah. I can just do this practice perfectly, then God has to answer my prayer. Guess mm-hmm. what? God gets to do whatever God wants. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. what's beautiful, and the reason, one of the central reasons I'm still a Christian, is because I believe God wants to. God is constantly pouring blessing, life, wholeness, hope, mercy into the world. It's like like another image that helps me so much is just imagining myself and everyone else on earth. We are standing under this waterfall that that pours blessing, goodness, strength, health, wholeness, forgiveness, pours... Um, down upon us. And the question is, are we going to live with hands open Mm. or arms folded? Mm. And so many of us, we have these blessings pouring down upon us and we, we live with our arms folded. And in my understanding, spiritual practices are simply the humble ways that we open our hands. So do spiritual practices cause God to do anything? Not at all. God does. God is already doing what God does. Yeah. But spiritual disciplines just help us put us in the flow to yeah. receive what's already happening. What, what I think is unique about uh, the book and what I think is really helpful is we live in such a, such a busy world, mm-hmm. such a one thing to the next. And now you've moved to New York City, so you probably yes. are even getting a whole nother taste of busy. Oh, and like, yep. um, you can even hear the noises around us sometimes say, we'll or the sirens, sirens. And like, you know, uh, it's, 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 uh, it, it can be hard when, even if you're living in a rural space, but, but you, yep. you, you, you work 60 hours a week and yep. you have a family, you come home to a five, you know, who, you know, and I have three children and yep. they want my attention and, yep. and work wants my attention and my friends want my attention. And I'm trying to also be disciplined and, you know, things like fitness, things like nutrition yep. thing, you know, and so, so much of your mental energy is being, you know, uh, put in these places. You're a student. So you also have like, uh, books you're reading, I would assume yep. papers you're writing, tests oh, yeah. you're taking. And so, um, tell me a little bit about how you've seen value and, um, remaining discipline in your spiritual practices and maybe explain a little bit about like what your daily rhythm is like, because you have children, you're married, yeah. you have, you yeah. get, you're in, you're in seminary. You're also, you yep. know, uh, you were at BioLogos, I think just the yeah, other day, yeah, like you're traveling, you're doing, yeah. a, you're doing a lot of things. So I guess maybe share with some people who feel like, I love that idea that really resonates with me, but I'm just too busy. Yeah. Like, well, um, if you're saying that mm-hmm. it's probably true, yeah. You probably are too busy. <laughs> you are, yeah. And I say that from experience. Yeah. Um, there, so let me say two opposite things. Yeah. Um, the first one is, um, what's the great, um, uh, the rabbis used to teach, uh, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. Which I think is such a painful and beautiful reality. So we just moved to Manhattan four months ago. In some ways, it changed everything. In some ways, it changed nothing. Mm. It's still me. 
yeah. with all the glory and brokenness of me, you know, mm-hmm. wherever you go, there you are. So I think there is an element, whatever season, when we're traveling a lot, when we're home a lot, when we're bored, when we're overwhelmed, there is a sense where the invitation is the same. And it is that, that inner stillness that we can cultivate largely through these practices that we take anywhere, which we all know the opposite is true. You can be on a beach on vacation and your inner life is tumultuous mm. and stressed out. And so, so yeah, I think the first truth is wherever, go, we, wherever we go, there we are. Mm-hmm. Um, the externals are not actually the only, are not the whole story. Yeah. But the other truth is um, the externals matter. I mean, if I work, I've had seasons where I lose myself in a project. Um, it's usually, we all do it in different ways. For me, it's usually a creative project. Like if I'm ever doing a recording project, that's what I can do 100 hours a week. Yeah. And, you know, not take care of myself, not eat good meals, not talk to my family. And, you know, I, I can really lose myself in that. And it's really hard to cultivate in, in, an inner sense of peace mm. when our externals are are bonkers. So I think there's some sort of tension there, um, not waiting for our externals to be utopia. Mm-hmm. Someday, when yeah. I can <laughs> order my life that way, then I can be open to God. Yeah. Um, that someday is never going to happen. Yeah. What we have is today. Where yeah. is God? God is here today. Um, and to hold that intention with the reality that how we order our days actually does matter. Mm, so that's good. Yeah. Would you say Sabbath has been a good practice for you or like t- taking intentional rest and pause and like, what are some other practices? Oh. I mean, I know you list uh, many practices yeah, in the yeah, book yeah, yeah, yeah. and obviously some of those are corporate practices that are, yep. that, 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 um, that, that took place in community. Yep. Um, can you share briefly <clears throat> about some just like, and I want to be careful because some practices may resonate really well with you and your, and, yeah. and your practices aren't the practices of that course. everyone should order their life around, yes. but just curious what, yeah. um, what your rhythm is like. Um, and I'm sure it's ever changing and you just moved. So that's probably yeah. part uh, yep. in some ways of change. Well, let me start with a confession. Yeah. Since, since now we're friends, <laughs> uh, talking for a minute. Um, Sabbath, the practice of Sabbath, yeah. um, holding 24 hours every week, aside, uh, has been the most helpful practice that I have not been able to sustain for any amount of time. Mm. I would probably say the same about me personally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was a season probably, I want to say like five or six years ago where I got really good at it. Okay. And that was largely because uh, maybe it was even longer than five or six years ago. Rob Bell was talking a lot about it at sure. that time, yep. or at least when I was listening to him at yep. that time, I was listening to yep. a lot of him, his yep. talks on that yep. and hearing the importance of it, the rhythm of it. Yep. And I was really coming into uh, work more refreshed and even more mentally open and, and just yep. flowing way better. Yep. And so I, I was even seeing like productive value and positive. Oh, yeah. Like, does that make sure. sense? So oh, like, absolutely. But then when everything goes haywire and you start having kids and like, we'd already had maybe I think one of our kids at that point, but then when yep. you throw two and three into yep. the mix and you're, yep. you know, and so I, I would agree that like, it's one of those practices I've been very inconsistent about. And it's also yep. hard as a pastor because do you take it on Saturday right. when you're mentally getting ready for Sunday or do you take it on Monday yes. when you're like, okay, how do I figure out yes. my Monday routine? And yep. so like I have pastor friends who are all over the map on where they take yep. it in the week and, yep. and, and, and what's best for their particular rhythms. Yep. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I totally resonate with yeah. that confession. <laughs> for me, it had to be after whenever I would carve out that time, it had to be after the service I was responsible for. Definitely. I get that. So it was really hard to unplug when I know Sunday's coming. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that's been one that, again, it's so weird where you experience the almost nuclear benefit of something. Mm. And then for some reason, I haven't been able to sustain it for long periods of time. So mm. maybe I, I just start with a confession there. <laughs> um, I think the, uh, some of my rhythm is uh, mornings are, are when it needs to happen. 
Yeah. And there's something about opening the day um, where I, it's almost like I get out of the way of my life for, for a bit of time and I just open up. And right now I actually, you know, we're in the building that I live. Our apartment is just uh, right over there. And I have a window that looks out on the skyline and I, I sit there, have my coffee. Um, I, I have an app that is called iMissile. Um, not like a bomb missile, but the <laughs> missile AL. And um, what it does is it has uh, each day's lectionary readings oh, wow. read for you. Oh, okay. And so you just get to listen. Yes. Yeah. And that has changed for me. You know, I've been, you know, as a good evangelical, I've been reading scripture every morning mm-hmm. and doing that whole thing. And it it got into an unhelpful place for me. I actually sure. had to take a, a break from the Bible and for you, a while. And you talk a little bit about that in yeah. the book, like how your, yeah. your regular quiet time yeah. practices yep. and stuff like that. It yeah. was really, really helpful until it wasn't. Yeah. And I had let it turn into something it was never meant to be. But in this season, listening to the text being read and the lectionary text, so I don't choose it, it's what Christians all over the planet are reading today has been really beautiful. Yeah. And so I, I usually begin there, and, um, and then when that's, that's finished, I just do a little bit of silence. Mm. Is there, sometimes I'm trying to listen, did, did something that was read, is it resonating with me? And other times it's just exhaling. Um, you know, the, uh, one of my favorite translations of Our Father Who Art in Heaven is Our Father Who Fills the Atmosphere, Our Father Who Is Closer Than the Air We Breathe. Yeah, and so the um, so many of the spiritual practices, especially the contemplative practices, involve our breath. Yeah, and so sometimes I'll just notice my you know my breath filling up my lungs, and just be reminded again, God is closer than the air I breathe, mm. and um, it's beautiful. I can usually tell how well my soul is going by how long I stay in that place. Mm. Um, when I'm real frazzled, if I can do two minutes of that, it's a miracle. You know? <laughs> but when there's seasons of being a little more grounded, I'm able to just stay in that place. And you really get the sense, you know, all shall be well. Yeah. Would you yeah. describe that as kind of like a meditative practice yeah. Uh, yeah. of sorts? Yeah. Yeah. Breath prayer yeah. is at the practice. Breath prayer is one of the, one of the uh, the practices that we spend a lot of time with. Yeah. And which in evangelicalism is a little bit like oh be be af- like I, I oh, grew up with I grew up with a lot of like oh be afraid of that. Whereas oh, like yeah, meditation, it's, I think it's, it's so valuable and it's like course, it physically yes. actually like opens you. Like, yes. Like I think I've experienced that absolutely yeah. and. It is um, part of our Christian tradition. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. We recent evangelicals who left part of that tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not a new weird thing. Yeah. Um, modern evangelicalism is a new weird thing. You know? <laughs> so that's maybe a good pivot into. That's maybe a good pivot into. Yeah. One of the things I appreciated about the book was like your rhythm of uh, taking the reader through your deconstruction, then reconstruction, yeah. then deconstruction, yeah, then yeah, reconstruction. Yeah. And you didn't necessarily label it that, sure. but I sensed as also being a pastor who's been through seasons where I've deconstructed certain yep. things and yep. uh, reconstructed, but then been like, huh, I don't know what I think about this reconstruction. Maybe there's some other parts that need to change. Yep. Obviously you're in seminary now, so I'm sure you're even hearing new ideas or, right. or, or adopting new understandings. But h- how... Talk a little bit about your deconstruction journey, but then also maybe talk to people who um, are currently in in the mode of deconstruction. Maybe they don't even know if they believe there's a God anymore. Maybe they don't know. Uh, How have the spiritual practices been helpful for you to remain tethered, even in times of doubt, which I think is, is, that's one of the values of of the practices. Absolutely. Oh man, there's a lot of a lot of questions. Yeah, in there. sorry. There's so many things I want to say. Well, maybe just to begin, um, like we were talking before we started recording, like my faith imploded, mm. um, and I mentioned that briefly. But just you know, I was a worship leader leading songs that I I really didn't think I believed anymore, mm-hmm. and it was very difficult, very complicated when your paycheck is connected yeah. to to the faith that is crumbling. And so, you know, this whole book is not like uh, a mental exercise. Like, oh, it'd be interesting to think, no, 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 this is, this is, uh, this was spiritual life and death for me. This mm. was, 
either there is a more beautiful way forward or I'm done with the whole thing. Yeah. And, um, and again, I'm just so grateful that there is a way forward and it's actually better. I am, this is so weird. I, I have a very con- conflicted relationship with evangelicalism right now, mm-hmm. but I've never been more thankful to be a Christian um, than I am right now. And I'm not a particularly good one, <laughs> but the way of Jesus is so compelling. I mean, blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm. Blessed are those who mourn. Yeah. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the... I mean, that's the way. Yeah. If, our, if our world has any chance, yeah. that's the way. Yeah. And so um, I think to your question about the practices, I think I will do any practice... Christian or otherwise, yeah. that aligns me with that vision that Jesus laid out for the world. Sure, sure, that's um, good. And so, fortunately, there are all these Christian practices that help us live out Jesus's way, and so those have been wildly helpful. Um, to your question about the deconstruction, reconstruction, that whole thing, yeah, um, I think a lot of it started for me when I realized that my particular faith tradition is really good, but not even close to enough. Mm. And I think both of those truths were important because, I mean, so many of my friends are, are pitching their whole faith. Yeah, same. Um, not just their specific faith tradition, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because they've rightly seen that it's broken, it's, it's, it's partial, mm-hmm. um, it's flawed, but then they lose all the good of it also. Yeah. And so I have a, a chapter in the book uh, that the whole chapter is about include and transcend. Yep. And that, that simple idea, that's actually both a Christian idea and a Buddhist idea. Mm-hmm. The include and transcend, realizing that our journey up to this point is critically important but we can't stay here. Um, it's like third grade, right? Third yeah. grade is brilliant when you're eight, and it's so necessary. Yeah. And you learn so many important things that bring you to fourth grade. But you've got to move to fourth grade. Yeah. But what you don't do in fourth grade is say, third grade sucks. <laughs> everything I learned there was a lie. No, no, no. You bring everything from third grade into the bigger space yeah. of fourth grade. And so... You know, as uh, we all come from a different vantage point. So I came from the like white evangelical uh, conservative stream. And I could talk for an hour about the parts of that stream that are beautiful mm-hmm. and that are good. I mean, I'm at an Episcopalian seminary right now yeah. and I'm noticing, wow, I'm really thankful for that part of my upbringing, you know, just sure. being in a different context. On the flip side, I could talk for an hour on the parts of my upbringing that I've not only um, needed to let go, but I want to fight against. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's very complicated. Yeah. And uh, when I'm frazzled and stressed and angry, I do include and transcend poorly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just transcend and blow up, right? Um, but when there are seasons where I can get grounded, where it's not about vengeance on all those people who lied to me, yeah. um, when I can see, wait, they were handed a really um, messed up story, and they handed it to me. Mm. And let's be honest, I'm handing part of that to my kids too. Yeah. And so can I forgive the people who taught me this poor story um, with the same grace I'm hoping my kids can forgive me, um, you know, 15 years down the line? Um, so to, to sum up that, to, to receive the gifts of my faith tradition, to let go of the parts that are toxic and broken, and to include the good into a new, bigger, and more beautiful future. Yeah. That's, that's what I long for. And that's so much of what this podcast is about, like beyond boundaries, meaning like 
moving beyond the boundaries that our tribe ascribes yeah, for us. That's like, right. I yeah. mean, you grew up in a tribe that ascribed, these are the boundaries. Don't yep. go outside the boundaries. If you that's go right. outside the boundaries, you're done. Like, yeah. or you're, or you're that's, out of God's will so or whatever. And yep. then the moment you go outside the boundaries, you're like, actually, it's not that terrible. Yeah, out here. I know. And I think that's when we tend to get very black and white yeah. at that moment. Yeah. Because when you when, when I, like you had said, you have friends and I have friends who have gone outside those boundaries and realized, Actually, it's more authentic and real out yep. here than it's ever right. been inside. That's and like, right. I, I want to go back inside. There's parts of inside yeah. that's not too bad, but if it's at the sake of like having actually authentic, real relationships with people yeah. and being in community for real, like, um, not that everybody would voice it like that. Some of them have have real hurts that would yeah. they would it'd be voiced very differently, right? Sure. But they've gone outside the boundaries. They felt that exclusion. And now they're just like, well, I'm just going to toss it all out. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about in the in the chapter that that is the uh, include and transcend chapter, and you you mentioned this multiple times throughout, and you have a Plymouth Brethren background, so you yeah. have an Anabaptist yeah, a little yeah, bit, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. your background is a third way, yeah, like you know, which I think is yes. really valuable right yep. now. And I think I think as I look, especially at the younger generation, you know, talking 35 and under, like. We're looking for a third way through conflict. We live yeah. in such a binary world yep. in our politics, oh. in our in our churches, yep. uh, in our communities. It's so div- everything's so divisive, and you always have to choose a side. You can yep. never you can That's never right. be about both. That's and right. I, and I think I think um, so much of what you're talking about in that chapter, but also throughout the book, is about uh, even the spiritual practice of saying. Uh, what does it look like for us to, to, to choose sides less and to, to, mm-hmm. to champion a third way? Sure. Uh, and again, this is the spiritual practice of following Jesus. Jesus yep. was consistently championing yep. third ways in a very binary world. Yep. So what are some third ways or some ways that you remain centered on a third way yeah. like approach to the world? Because that's something that I oh, struggle with, especially, so of course. especially yeah. when so much is on the line. Like You yep. can feel like, I'm trying to lead a community or I'm trying to lead my yep. family or I'm trying yep. and I want them to know right from wrong. Yeah. But then you're like, but I also want to be inclusive and I want to, yes. I want to help people understand. And I, yep. and so it can get really hard to commit to oh. that third way. But to, tell me a little yes. bit about what you've learned on that journey. Three things come to mind right away. First of all, just to name the conservatives don't um, have a monopoly on fundamentalism. Hmm. Yeah, and um, there there is fundamentalism in every camp. Yeah, and that's been disillusioning. Mm-hmm. I, I I think I had an idealism that if I could just get out of the super conservative fundamentalism, I could be in this really open space. Mm-hmm. Um, the far far left is not always very open. Yeah, um, and that's so we all have our work to do. Yeah, um, the. The, the second thing I would say about the, um, the both and is I think it's really important to not confuse the third way with some sort of neutral middle position. Yeah, that's good. Um, the third way between, I mean, let's, I'll just pick something that Go I ahead. hope yeah. everyone can agree on. Um, I mean, good luck with that. Well, but I mean, um, the, the neo-Nazis okay, maybe. marching, I, I, I would hope that, that, that that's one. That, sure, sure, know, sure, sure, sure. Um, we're not looking for a third way between the neo-Nazis and yeah. those who are working for justice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're looking for justice. Yes. So, um, But there is a third way approach to how you talk about people, right? absolutely a third and, way yeah, approach. Yeah. yeah. I just want to name what we're not saying is everybody's equally right. Yeah. So let's just have a position that allows everyone to be equally right. Yeah. There are some things that are wrong. Mm-hmm. I still believe in right and wrong, yeah. even as things are widening. So, But to your point, um, I hope I don't approach right and wrong the way I did in my uh, sure. more fundamentalist days. Definitely. Um, you asked about practices. Yeah. Uh, two come to mind really quickly. One, one um, will probably be sound obvious, but is, is, is harder to practice. And it's just, we've got to get out of our little closed circles. Mm. We have got to not just um, hear about the other, but to mm-hmm. be at tables with the other, Definitely. to be in relationship with the other. And even if we can't get there immediately, to be reading books 
from the other. That's how it came, started for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I, where I grew up, Catholics weren't even going to be in heaven. I mean, they weren't Same. even Christians. Yeah. Same, yeah. And so for me, my in beginning to engage the Catholic Church was reading Catholic authors. And I suddenly, I'm like, this is unbelievable. This is changing my life. This is helping me walk with Christ more. Mm. Maybe I need to get to know a Catholic. <laughs> you know, maybe I need to get to... So, so it can begin with reading, and a lot of times that's a good first step, but it's, it has to move to tables, to yeah. partnership, to uh, getting, getting our kids together, um, not just fellow Christians. I mean, I'm embarrassed by there were many Christians I wouldn't, you know, connect with. But then beyond interfaith and our Muslim yeah. brothers and sisters. And, oh, man, I could tell you some stories uh, well, in actually, Chicago. Well, actually, I just yeah. got back from uh, Israel and Palestine. You did? I was there from March 1st to March 14th. No way. Yeah, I and uh, I was there with uh, Mennonite Central Committee. I don't oh, know if you're really? familiar with them, no. but they... Uh, They've been there since like the '40s, and uh, okay. and it was like a a learning tour. And so yeah. we spent a lot of time in Palestine. I mean, on both wow. sides of the conflict, both but like, sides. Um, but it was pretty eye opening. Oh yeah, especially coming from a conservative background, yes. obviously, right? And like, yeah. I I loved what you had mentioned in the book about being pro Israel, pro Palestine, and pro peace. Yeah, and um. Unfortunately, that it seems like when you're on the ground there, that window of those three options just keeps getting smaller and yeah. smaller by the realities yeah, that are that are happening yeah. there. And, and yeah. you know, like so much of history can shape the possibility for peace. Not that I would ever remove the chance for a miracle or right. the chance for something amazing right. to take place. But but when you're thrust into those situations, and you've been there too yeah. multiple times, right? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. I heard oh, in the book. Yeah. So so it's like so so you've you've seen yeah. it, um, but. Yeah. Uh, but in big conflicts like that, but also in small, trying to consider like, w- one of the things I thought was really good about being there was, was hearing um, a, pers- a perspective and, and trying to pause and, and understand it and be compassionate for it when I was like, I don't know that I think that's okay, mm-hmm. yeah. but I wanna sit here, I wanna, yeah. we were actually at a table with somebody, like, I wanna hear what you have to say, Yeah. I'm going to challenge it a little bit, but yep. I also want to try to understand your worldview. And, yeah. and um, we were talking about settlements and stuff. And obviously, there's a variety of views on these things. Um, yep. uh, and I'm going to be publishing a lot of stuff on that, so you can follow that on my website. But like, the, we were talking to a rabbi, and for a moment, he talked about his daughter um, and the fear of missiles coming in from Gaza. Yeah. And in that moment, I was like, you know what? I have a daughter. Yep. That's exactly like, right. I don't know that I think these settlements and what's happening and kind of some of the land grabbing that's taking place yeah. is really helping in any way move this conflict toward peace. Does yeah. that make sense? Oh, yeah. But I can understand a father being concerned for the safety of his daughter and even the psychological like concern of like my daughter being concerned. Yeah. Walk- my daughter doesn't have to be concerned walking to school about... Yeah. A missile. Does that that's make right. sense? Like that's, exactly that's not right. a concern I've ever yep. had to have as a father. Yep. Um, yep. And so it, it shapes. I, I think leading with compassion has been something yep. that's really try, yep. trying to sit with people and be like, okay. One of the yep. practices is like, okay, I have my perspective, but how do I? Yeah. How do I try to come to empathize? Yes. With the perspective of the that's other. So good. And like, that's the one thing I think. While evangelicalism did teach me a lot about truth, a lot about even practical love. There was a lot of service yeah. we did. There was a lot yep. of missions work we did. There was a lot. It didn't always teach me well how to empathize. Yeah. And especially with people I disagree with. Sure. It usually just taught me they're wrong. Yeah. So let's try to convert them to our yeah. way. Let's try to convert them to yep. rightness. Like, yep. like, you know, and yep. like, yeah. And so I think, yep. I think one of the things I'm learning and it seems like you're learning or you've been on this journey as well is like how to connect more honestly with the other. Yeah, it's so good. And I think it's so valuable, right? I I mean, I love your example. It's such an extreme, Mm -hmm. but totally universal example. I mean, when I, you know, growing up in American Christianity, we thought Israel were the good guys. Mm -hmm. And then there was a bunch of terrorists who were kind of like animals. So that was the first. And then you get over there, and you see some of the oppressive policies of the Israeli government. Yeah. And then 
<clears throat> if you're on the if you're on a two, if you're on an unbalanced tour, which my first tour was a little unbalanced. Okay. I started saying, "Wait, the Palestinians are the good guys. That it, the state of Israel, they're the uh, they're, yeah. But then you you go and mm-hmm. just like I've had that same experience. Then you sit with some Israeli brothers and sisters, and you're like, they're just like us, and they have the history mm-hmm. of their people being one of the most, if not the most, oppressed yeah. people in human history. Yeah. So they carried. I mean. Oh, it's it was so, a, it was a wave of emotions on that really trip was. because it yep. was it was yep. you would be at a refugee camp in Palestine yep and hearing their perspective and then yep. you'd be at the Holocaust Museum yep. and then you'd be at like then you'd be sitting with the rabbi then you'd be you know and yep. like and then you'd be at a holy site and you'd be supposed to be pausing and being right, <laughs> like it's just, it's hard for me to <laughs> it's hard for me to sit here and be like oh this is so powerful right now when I'm processing yeah. all of, all of these emotions can, but it was can yeah. I just say for anyone listening yeah if you have the opportunity. To experience to go on a dual narrative Middle East trip, got to do it that way. If you do it, yeah. it is it is a life changing experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you can mention the one you did. It yeah, MCC. Like it was great. But who, who you, you mentioned someone in the Our, book? Um, the Telos Group. Telos Group. Okay. Um, Which I didn't, haven't had a chance to look into, but oh I want my, to. I, uh, I will completely derail the the podcast. Give, by give talking like sixty about seconds Telos. on it. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Telos is started by Todd Dethridge, okay. who served um, in the George W. Bush uh, White House. Okay. He was the Condoleezza Rice's chief of staff. Oh, so wow. a Republican, um, Christian American Republican, partnered with um, Greg Khalil, okay. who is of Palestinian descent, and he was actually a part of the, Pal- he's a lawyer, part of the Palestinian negotiation team. Okay. And they've both come to the same conclusion, which is either it Either it's going to be justice for both, or it's going to be justice for neither. Yeah. Um, zero sum will blow up the world. Yeah. And so they've started this Telos group. And like you mentioned, it's pro-Israel, pro-Palestine, pro-peace. I love that. And oh. it's, it's the most compelling thing, and it's difficult, and it's complicated. But that's ex- what you're describing is exactly what they do. Yeah. Let, they say, we will meet with anyone Short of those who choose violence, yeah. on either side. That's that's MCC's mission yeah. as well, is to yeah. say like we want to meet with peacemakers on yep. both sides. So yep. like, uh, mm-hmm. they're doing things even like just getting women on both sides together to share recipes and cook together, it's beautiful. which is really yep. good because one yep. of the things that was really alarming to me is you know you have the wall now and and if you're an Israeli wanting to go into Palestinian territory, you're not allowed. Yes. It's, it's against right. the law. Oh, and yeah. then there's also all kinds of warnings. Like, yep. you'll get killed if you go on the yep. other side of this wall. Yep. Like, like, they're all terrorists. It's, yep. I mean, they don't say it exactly like that, but that's definitely oh, what they're trying course. to communicate to you. If you go over yep. there, you're going to get killed. And so the moment you actually start to realize, hold on, those people over there are just like us. They're cooking meals for their family. Yep. I mean, we were in Palestinian areas that were, were rough areas as far as, like, you could tell were rough. Yep. But like we felt 100% safe. I didn't. It wasn't the most hospitable people yeah. ever. We actually had we had we had stayed in hotels, but we also had homestays. Yeah. So we actually stayed yes. with people. Yes. And like they're the most hospitable yep. people. Honestly, it was like I'm, I'm okay. I got everything yeah. I need. I'm good. <laughs> they're just trying to feed you and trying. Can to I like, tell one yeah, fun yeah, story? Do it. Yeah. Just we're this is such a serious topic, but yeah. um, one of the trips we were there, we were actually doing some music. And so there were a number of us musicians. I see you wearing a Gunger shirt. Yeah, uh, David yeah. Gunger was one of the guys. Oh, really? There. Awesome. And there were four of us in the band. And so we did rehearsals all day. And then we didn't have to play till the next day. So that night we said, let's, we're in Bethlehem, which is Palestinian territory. Yep. Um, and so we said, let's take a taxi in and let's find a place to get some drinks, get mm-hmm. some falafel, um, yeah. maybe find a hookah. Like, yeah, let's, sure, let's, sure, sure. let's just do it. We're here. Yeah, yeah. So we, we jump in a taxi and we start driving. And the guy realizes, obviously, we're Americans. We, yeah. we didn't blend in very well. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and so he's, he's messing with his radio. And he finally gets to the right thing. And it's... Um, uh, is it Backstreet Boys? Ain't nothing but tell me why. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that whole song. He starts playing, and we're in the back, and we put arms around each other. Uh, we're singing at the top of our lungs, going through the West Bank, you know, singing yeah. uh, Backstreet Boys. And then we weren't there yet when the song ended, and he reached down, started it over. <laughs> Same song. So we did it again. We sing it uh, And it was such a human moment. Yeah. It was such a human moment. Um, 
just a bunch of your friends just in what a lot of people see as like a war zone. Like, yeah. And it is, and it is right. at times, but like and it's And he people. saw us as Americans and he's like, let's have some fun. Yeah. And it was just, it was very, it was, uh, it's fun to have those moments of yeah. just belly laughing too. And the hard thing for me and the thing I brought back to probably like is still something I'm processing because I've only been back for a couple yeah. weeks, you know, is like when I talk to Palestinians and ask, what changes this? They said, you have more power to change this than I do as an American citizen. Yep. And then you're like, oh. Yep. Oh, and they, they, in their mind, they're like, until, until the broader international community yeah. sees what you've seen, yeah. this isn't changing. And, and that's well, been their experience, you know, and that's un, unfortunate to some let's, degree. Let's push a little more into specificity. Um, very often, it's America vetoing mm-hmm. action. Yep. And who's the strongest American voting block mm-hmm. that supports that? Well, it's Zionism, it's Zionism within the evangelical community that's really... Yes, it's white uh, evangelicals. It's white evangelicals and, and, and the Zionistic kind of yep. theology that we're handed. Yep. And, and I think that... Yep. Though what's really difficult about that, too, is like in the, in the Palestinian side, you have 20% Christian. Yeah. And and in the Israeli side, I right. mean, and I'm not saying we should choose sides well, based on but, based on whether one side's Christian or not, yeah. but it's like the side we've been taught to see as terrorists. Yeah. Which and I'm not saying there's not terrorists on of that course, side, of course. Um, but but I guess what I'm saying is that side, one in five people you meet on that side yeah. are, are Christians. We attended yep. two different churches on yep. that side so and we. went to went to yep. went to their services and, yep. and and being in that space, it's like. Yeah, wow, these are our brothers and sisters yep. over here in the midst of this conflict, and yep. many are so almost like landlocked by the wall or by you know other things oh, and yeah. unemployment and all this. So we yeah. met some some kids who talked about it as an open air prison. Mm. They live. They say we live in an open air prison. Wow, we're surrounded by this wall. We cannot ever leave. Yeah, it's pretty intense. It is pretty intense. Let yeah. me. Um, I think this is kind of connected to that. Yeah, but it's the second part of answering your question about. What do we do to move into the both end? Yeah. And I think if, if there was one practice that I would recommend, um, because it's been one of the most difficult and freeing ones for me, it's forgiveness. It's yeah. praying for, my, it's choosing to pray for my enemy instead of destroy them. Mm. It's choosing, I, oh man, I, when I'm obsessed with the person who's wronged me, I am not ever choosing a third way path on anything. Yeah. It like infects everything when we're covered with, uh, soaked in resentment. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the Lord's Prayer, do you know the verse after the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's account is... Um, if you do not forgive, um, then God will not forgive you. Yeah. If you don't forgive others, God will not we forgive you. We don't hold you. that very dogmatically in the what? church. <laughs> Are you kidding me? What does that mean? Yeah. And, and I think for me, there, it's a lot more complicated than this. Sure. But one of the ways that has really helped me with both that verse, but also just this whole idea is, if we stop the flow of grace outward, mm-hmm. We are stopping the flow of grace inward. Yeah, like it's either, it's both or it's neither. Yeah. It's it, and and to use the eternal current metaphor, yeah. it's like you're damming That's up right. the yep. grace of God That's coming in. Exactly like, right. Like you're yep. you're building up a dam here, and it's yep. not coming in now because yep. you've chosen. Um, yeah, you've chosen in some ways to be. Uh, the unmerciful servant, right? Yeah, that's right. right. And, and that's yep. that's a you know that that's yep. another space where we talk about forgiveness, the yep. value of that to to yep. not keep this weight of like books that tell you who's right or wrong that's and right. like how and how you relate to them based on that. So yep. yeah, forgiveness could do a lot in that oh, space. So I just know for me when I'm when I'm weighted down by unforgiveness, it affects my entire life. Yeah. Even not connected to that situation, it affects everything. And mm. I mentioned this in the book, but I, I came in to my spiritual director um, mm-hmm. a couple years ago, and I just was explaining. I have there's someone that I'm like having conversations with them, like in the shower. I'm thinking about what I should have said, like that whole <laughs> thing. Yeah. And uh, he he said, um, "Can I teach you a simple practice of forgiveness?" And he taught me this four-part practice. And I said, okay, well, I'll try to do that this week. And he goes, 
let's do it now. And I'm like, I don't want to do it now. I don't want. <laughs> but he guided me through this, and I've done it many times since. And it's just a very simple way of learning how to let go, learning how to let this person off the hook, learning how to let the grace begin to flow toward them so that it can begin flowing back toward me also. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Yeah. um, forgiveness is so central. That's great. That's great. All right, uh, last question. Yeah. If, so, so there's probably a lot of people listening to this who might have families, maybe even young families. Yeah. Um, what are some ways, if I'm a parent listening to this, yeah. that I'm like, you know, spiritual practices, these are valuable, but how do I make it communal for my family? And yes. you talk a little bit about this in the book. Yep. Uh, I yep. definitely want to encourage everybody. I mean, I, I, I listen to this book. I do Audible. So like I listened to this book and it was really, really oh, great, really fabulous. You. So like yeah. highly encourage you to go get the book. Yeah. Um, but maybe give parents a couple of things they can consider yeah. that might be handles for them to even just start to build the value of spiritual practices into their children. Because obviously you and I had some of that because in evangelicalism, quiet time was emphasized. Prayer was emphasized. Um, There were certain things that were spiritual practices that were emphasized. But just share a little bit about how you're doing that even now or what you would recommend to a parent who came to you and was like, what do I do? Such a good question. Obviously, one part of spiritual discipline is getting alone. Mm -hmm. But... Our spiritual disciplines can't only be when we leave the family. Yeah. Like we've, we, we have to find ways for our kids' sake that we include them in some of these practices. And so there's two particular ones that uh, we've been doing with our boys. One is kind of a modified examine. And mm-hmm. I won't go through the whole what is the examine for those who aren't familiar. But you it's do lay that out in the book. In the book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, we do a, a really uh, simple version, which is kind of high-low of the day. Mm-hmm. What's one moment today that you felt completely like yourself, alive, full of gratitude? And what's one moment where you didn't, where you, something happened that hurt you? Or, and we often do it at dinner. Mm-hmm. And we go around, and even the seven-year-old, you know, for when he was like five, <laughs> it was like mostly fiction, you know, about this this superhero that flew in, you know. But now at at seven, he's able to begin sharing. And the twelve-year-old, I mean, he yeah. he's he shares some very significant things. Sure. But what I love about it, a, it gives us a chance together to hold our days to connect for each other and yeah. connect. But it also normalizes the difficult parts of life. Oh, that's good. I think um, I had moments growing up. I have great parents, but I had moments growing up where um, if I had something bad going on, I don't want to wreck dinner, you know, or that's not really what this is for. And so you wait till it's crisis, and then you drop the crisis on the family. And they're like, why didn't you tell us before? You know, what I love about this practice is it's just a very simple way every single day to name one thing. Mm-hmm. And so as parents, then we can be listening like, wow, he's shared a, a real similar thing for a while now. I'm going to follow up on that. Or, yeah. you know. So that, that's been a great practice. The other one that's been really surprising is um, our practice community on Sunday nights. We started praying the Lord's Prayer with these simple hand gestures. Mm. Um, and it sounds weird, but the whole idea is we, um, a lot of us in our community spend uh, so much of our faith in our brain. Yeah. Like we're just, it's so cerebral. We're really disconnected from our bodies and we're trying to figure out how to be holistic human beings again. Yeah. Um, not, not to mention holistic Christians. And, you know, so we, we just use these simple hands open, hands raised uh, way of praying the Lord's Prayer. And I was telling the boys about that one night before bed. Mm. And I'm like, well, can I teach you guys? And, and they're like, yeah. So I teach them, okay, our Father, we hold our hands like this, who art in heaven, we lift up our hands, you know. And now we do it most nights. That's great. And, um, and when we have guests over, a lot of times I'll, boys, come on in. Would you teach the guests the gestures for the Lord's <laughs> Prayer? And we'll, you know, before dinner, we'll all pray the Lord's Prayer. And, and um, it has been profoundly meaningful. That's awesome. Um, there, there are times where we're watching our boys pray this, and Sean and I will just get tears like, this is, it's just, it's just really beautiful. It, it's powerful when, when you 
see your kids start to yeah. start to get it. Like yes. I, I say a blessing over our kids. May the Did Lord really? bless you and oh, keep yeah. you. May yeah. the Lord make yep. his face shine upon you and be gracious towards you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Like I say that over, over my kids yep. as, as they Beautiful. go to sleep. So from numbers, yep. you know, yep. but then, um, uh, my, my middle son Beckett started asking me to like add stuff to it. And so now I say, uh, no bad dreams, only good dreams, no bad yeah, imagination, yep, only yep, good imagination, yep, no bad yep. thoughts, only good thoughts, no bad real life, only good real life. Amen. Yeah. On top of it, because oh, yeah, these yeah, are things he's course, added, right? Of course. So, so yes. I've watched him and observed yes. him and he'll literally like at times say the blessing over his stuffed animals. It's and I'm like, this is awesome. Amazing. This is so cool. This yes. is so cool to see it. And even while I was in Israel and Palestine, I had to like record it so that, yes. so that Brittany oh, could go and, like, yes. and show it to the kids when they yeah. were going to bed. But it's like, it, yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. So, so it's, it's been, it's oh, been really so awesome to, uh, to, to have those practices. I think whatever yep. fits your family though, like that's yep. the big thing. Like, I think yep. one of the things I've learned is like other people have given me practice ideas where I'm like, oh, that sounds really great. Let's do it. And then you're like, and sometimes it's a matter of like, okay, we just need to, we need enough repetition of this sure. and it'll, and it'll get yep. normal. But other times it's like, okay, we tried enough repetition. It's this not working with the rhythm of our, our life yep. and it's just not working yep. for our family and it's not yep. catching on. Yep. Cause I mean, while I do think it should be a discipline and discipline mm-hmm. requires, you know, creating a discipline requires discipline, but it also should form into a habit, you know, yeah. after a while, yeah. right. It should become yeah. habitual. And so, yeah. um, that's, yeah, that's so good. So good. Not every practice is meant for every person. Obviously. Yeah. I think that's and important. So we, yeah. we, we try things and, yeah, and you're right. You have to stick with it a little bit yeah. because the first time almost never works. Yeah. But at a certain point, to just be able to let go is, I think, yeah. is helpful. It's great. Aaron, thank yeah. you so much for oh, being I'm on so with glad. me. Thanks and for uh, coming if people out. want to uh, find out more about you, follow you, obviously yeah. they can get your book. We'll put the link uh, in the show notes and we'll also put a link to your website and your other stuff. But tell a little bit about some of the stuff and ways yeah. that they can connect with you and follow you. Well, yeah, the website, AaronNequist.com, is where mm-hmm. I'm trying to collect the different projects. So the book sure. is there. Um, I've been working on a project called A New Liturgy for a mm-hmm. number of years, which are just these 25, 15 to 25 minute recorded journeys of prayer, song. And um, actually, um, maybe three weeks ago, just released a, uh, a lament liturgy. Oh wow! And it's for free. Okay. So I, it was just it was too. How do you charge people for lament? You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I just like put it out there. Anybody There's enough can of that in life. How, how can I charge people for this? <laughs> yeah. But it's it's the whole idea is if we don't learn, if we don't learn constructive practices to deal with our heartbreak. Yeah. We're going to blow up our lives and we're going to blow up the world. Mm. And so this is just following the, the tradition of lament where we're able to hold, hold our heartbreaks in mm. God's presence. And David Gunger, actually, uh, he sang the main song on it oh, awesome. and did a lot of the guitar, guitar work. And I'm really excited about it. If you can be excited about lament, yeah. Well, <laughs> if you can, I'm excited about this project. So it's free download great. for anybody who wants. Yeah, it. I'll put a link in the show notes oh, to that exactly. Good. So yeah, cool. and they can follow you on Twitter and on, yep. on Instagram, Twitter, Insta, and still Facebook. Still Facebook. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah, still yeah, there, yeah. holding it down. <laughs> oh, very good. Aaronique is the Twitter handle. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. Yeah. Another episode down. I want to thank Aaron Nequist for being with me today. Go buy his book now. Seriously, go buy it. The Eternal Current. I listened to it on Audible, actually. Uh, it's a great audiobook. If you're into audiobooks, it's a great one to have. So uh, go to AaronNequist.com and stay connected to the many things that Aaron is doing. Also, go check out anewliturgy.com and make sure you listen to the episode Aaron referenced on Lament. It was great to have you with me today on Beyond Boundaries. If you want to learn more about me or find the show notes, which by the way, the show notes of this episode have all the links that I just mentioned above to Aaron's stuff. Um, But you can find all of that at pastorjustindouglas.com. You can interact there with feedback, comments, and questions, or you can reach out to me via Instagram. I'm at pastorjustindouglas. Please consider subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing. It really does make a difference. May you go and live a life that is beyond boundaries, giving others love, exploring new ideas, and championing belonging.